Well, good afternoon, everybody. It's great uh, to be able to with you again and uh, for us to be able to share some time looking at this particular passage. We've been working through this second letter of Paul to the church in Corinth, um, comforting hardship. And uh, the past few weeks, we've been looking at uh, quite a difficult subject uh, and it carries on this week. Um, but I want us to focus on a particular idea that, that seems to be really prominent in this particular text. I think it's really appropriate and so many people, so much of the media uh, has been talking about the idea of what we might want to be as we leave this, this lockdown situation. What do we want um, the world to be like? How do we want to reshape our priorities? Um, I think one of the things that this particular text suggests to us, gives us an opportunity to think about, is the idea of pursuing a generous heart. Uh, imagine, imagine how much change would take place if we pursued generous hearts en masse. A few weeks ago, we prayed a, a prayer, a famous prayer, the prayer of the peace prayer, it's called. Uh, by Francis of Assisi. He's a fascinating character. Um, you will have seen, if you've seen pretty much any Robin Hood film, you'll have seen the classic monk's dress of the uh, the, the hard uh, Hessian type uh, brown cloak with the with the rope tied around the waist. In actual fact, uh, Francis chose that particular form of clothing because it was re representative at the time of Umbrian peasants. And he had a real passion for, for the poor. And so he deliberately decided to, to be alongside and to represent and to, uh, to look like, to share with, to be part of uh, the poor. And, and Francis of Assisi, I think, might have had this particular text in mind. Uh, when he pursued that particular phrase in his prayer, for it is in giving that we receive. That's one of the lines in that particular prayer. It is in giving that we receive. Um, it's become a well-known idea. It's better to give than receive. I think as a child at Christmas time, I used to hear that and I used to think, mm, not sure about that. Um, I really like receiving more than giving. But maybe as time goes on, you begin to understand a little bit more, even in our own sort of social interactions uh, with each other, how how much of a privilege it is to be able to give and to see the the joy um, that giving brings to others. But but I don't think it's that sort of um, surface level idea that that we're really looking at and pursuing when we think of a generous heart. Uh, I guess part of that reason is because there is actually rooted in that idea of seeing the the joy that it brings. There is there is a little bit of pride, isn't there, that can easily emerge as we we see the satisfaction and the joy in somebody with what they've received, and and we kind of take pride ourselves. Do you see how even our even our good works, even the things that that are good to pursue, can so easily allow the real nature of our hearts to kind of well up. And so let's think a little bit about this text and why it 
the YH, it sort of steers us in a slightly different direction in pursuing a generous heart. This is how it works. Let's read the, the first few verses, verse 6 to 9. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your, decided in your hearts to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. First thing that we see in this idea of pursuing a, a generous heart is this. Planting joyful, gospel-shaped, gospel-motivated generosity ensures a profitable harvest. That's a big phrase, to, a big commitment to make, isn't it? To say that it ensures a profitable harvest. The image that's used here is one that would have been really common to the Corinthian uh, city, even though it was a city, it was still very much dependent on on agrarian um, farming, and and there would have been many farmers in the in the church at that time working out in the fields surrounding Corinth, and and it's an idea that certainly goes back. So often Jesus used the idea of a sower, uh, and Paul uses this idea here. If you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. And if you sow generously, you will reap generously. Imagine a field where you take a handful of seeds and you throw those that handful of seeds into that large field. That's reaping sparingly and you won't get much back. But if you sow generously, you will reap generously. If you fill that field with seed, you will get a much greater increase. And there is the commitment, there is the promise that sowing generously will reap generously. The harvest is going to be huge, Paul promises. That sounds, on the face of it, like what very often the Bible is twisted into saying. That if we give significantly very often to a particular ministry, which unfortunately very often ends up siphoned off into um, very unhelpful uses. But if we give generously, we will gain generously. It sounds like great news until we understand the value of what we will reap, because the harvest is of inestimable worth. It's something that we need. It's righteousness. Look at that final few words in verse 9. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. They're, they're real gifts, aren't they? They are they're tangible. You, you give your giving to the poor, and their righteousness endures forever. That's, that's what Paul is presenting to us. He's saying that that generous heart, that generous spirit 
assures a, a rich harvest, something that's way more than the return of what you have initially given, way more. It's righteousness. When our hearts are motivated to godly pursuit, when we are liberal for the sake of the gospel, then we are storing up a great rich treasure trove. Jesus poured out generously. We see that again and again. But we also see on a number of occasions where Jesus makes it really clear that righteousness is what we really need. There's an occasion, it's one of my favorite occasions in the life of Jesus, where a man who's unable to walk is carried by his friends onto the roof of a building where Jesus is speaking and the building is full. His friends can't get um, their friend even close to Jesus. And they know that Jesus is able to heal this man who, who can't walk. And so being enterprising, they carry him up onto the flat roof. And, and as Jesus is speaking, they must have worked out roughly where Jesus is. They break a hole in the ceiling. It must have been quite a moment as bits of ceiling rubble start to break down in front of Jesus and fall uh, on the heads of the people who are closest to him. They must have pushed back to make some space. And then their friends lower their friend down in front of Jesus. And Jesus says, first thing, your sins are forgiven. Isn't that an amazing thing? That's what righteousness is. That confidence, that assurance, that knowledge that we are considered righteous by God. This man who has been placed in front of Jesus, Jesus knew his heart. Maybe it was even the man himself who insisted that his friends drop him in front of Jesus because he knew he had faith in Jesus that he could be healed. And yet Jesus makes the priority. Your sins are forgiven. There was huge consternation when Jesus said that. And, and many of the um, religious leaders are absolutely incensed. And so Jesus says, well, which is it the easiest for me to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and take your bed and walk? And that's precisely what the man did. But you see what Jesus is saying is, yes, there are things that are temporary in this world which are great to have. But the real treasure, the thing that we really pursue is righteousness before God and that, that place of eternal rest and hope in him. And so what Paul is saying in this is he's saying you need to understand that your heart shaped by, by generosity by liberal giving is is it's a window into into your motives inside and your desires inside and when it is done for the right purpose with the right heart when we pursue that gospel generous heart then our rich harvest is righteousness that's tremendous news isn't it I wonder whether it would be possible that it might be said of us that we freely scattered our gifts to the poor and, the, and our righteousness endures forever.
So that's the sowing principle. But there's another move that that appears in this text, and it's it's the move from the idea, the principle, to the practice. Uh, how does this apply to you and me, or to the Corinthian church? What what does Paul say about how this might work? Look at verse nine. Uh, sorry, verse ten and verse eleven. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Do you see that again? He's saying the harvest is your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. It will result in thanksgiving to God. Who is, in that verse 9, who is the he who supplies? Do you see that? Now, he who supplies. Who, who is Paul talking about? Well, he's talking about God. He's saying God is the provider of the seed and the bread for the food. He's the one who provides that in the first place so that you can be generous. What a mind shift takes place when we understand and when we, when we see that. When we see that the things that we have gained are not our miraculous, ingenious uh, labors, our clever thinking and our diligent work, even if we get to the very root, the very kind of base idea of, of working hard in a field and growing food, Paul's saying it's God who raises that seed into a harvest. It's God who provides that. And if he's done that, then he is able to enrich you. He's able to help you to understand that you can take your fingers off that prized grip that we have on the things that we possess. You can let go of that a little bit when you understand that it's been given to you in the first place. That's faith. It's faith that is able to take that step so that that root of a generous heart that faith brings can flourish into activity. That's a groundbreaking idea for society, isn't it? So often we think about a generous heart as something that we have achieved, the ability to be generous. And yet Paul is saying it's it's actually what God has given you in the first place. So your ability to change your attitude can only come from faith. Faith needs to be in the right thing. What kind of faith is that? Tim Keller, who is just full of brilliant analogies, puts it like this. I want you to imagine that you are falling down a cliff and as you're falling you manage to hold on a little bit and just to your right there is a branch sticking out it you question is it is it strong enough to hold me if i reach out and take hold of it you're not sure is it strong enough and then you decide it it is strong enough it will hold on to me you have faith in what that branch sticking out of the ground is able to do for you if you don't reach out in faith to that branch, then you are lost. 
But if you do reach out and grab hold of that branch, you are saved. But you see that you are saved not by the faith of reaching out. You're saved by the strength of the branch. And that's his point. He's saying that it's not what we it's not how strong our faith is that's important. In fact, Jesus says, faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, a tiny little bit of faith can grow into something greater. That tiny step to say, I'll grab a hold of that branch. It's not that that amount of faith that matters. It's the object of our faith. The object of our faith as we're falling down the mountainside is that branch. It's the truth that that branch is strong enough to hold us that really counts. And it's the same with Jesus. Having faith in Jesus and being confident that he is strong enough to provide all that is needed so that we might be generous liberal givers, that step of faith is bound in the object of that faith. Maybe you're joining us regularly on these lockdown get-togethers. Maybe you're watching on uh, on repeat on the videos that have been saved. Maybe you have a sense of uncertainty that faith in Jesus of Nazareth, the one that they call Jesus Christ. Maybe you wonder, is is it right to have that sort of hope? You're, you're beginning to think it feels as, as though it it might be that faith in Jesus is true hope. You might think, yes, that's likely. Well, let me encourage you and warn you. First, let me warn you that if you don't actually reach out and take hold, then it's the same as not grabbing hold of the branch. But if with trepidation you reach out and and take hold, let me assure you that Jesus Christ is strong enough to hold you. And that pursuit of that kind of righteousness, that pursuit of faith in Jesus, creates all of the changes that we've been talking about. We've already said that what this, what we're pursuing as, as an outcome is, is not gain. It's not financial gain. It's, it's growth of righteousness. It's that sense of confidence that we are righteous before God. But, but one thing I have experienced, and, and maybe this is something for us to consider as we look back on the past few weeks. One thing that I've seen again and again is that, yes, faith in Jesus Christ is a miraculous work. It is a Holy Spirit work. And God provides for his church, but you know, he doesn't provide for his church with a, a kind of magic holy tree, a holy money tree. He actually provides for his church through that very simple mechanism of joyful givers providing in a way. That's, that's an amazing thought. And so 
that move to practice takes us to this final little section that I want to think about in terms of what does, what is the outcome of that practice. Let's look at verse 12. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. A few verses about outcome. The outcome of this liberal generosity, the, output, the outcome of joyful giving, is that it fuels expressions of thanks to God. Do you see that? Do you see that when when those who are the re, on the receiving end of the riches that that are given as gifts, they direct their thanks to God. That's when we understand whether our motives are true gospel heartedness, whether we are joyful with thanks to God as a result of our giving. Others will praise God for your confession of the gospel. We also read. It seems to me as though what Paul is saying there is the outcome of your giving is that others who up to now who don't believe in Jesus will come to faith in Jesus and will praise God for your confession of the gospel because of the way your confession of the gospel has shaped your giving and that they've seen others be the recipients of that, they will come to faith in God. What an incredible thought. Yes, we totally understand that salvation is through God, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Every new believer, every person who comes to faith is by the power of God. But at the same time, we need to understand that God uses ordinary means for that to be possible. It has been an absolute delight over these years at Christ Church to see so many people who've come to faith and have been baptized. That's been such a joy. But do you understand that it is your giving that has enabled the message of the gospel to be shared so that faith has been seen? It is your confession of the gospel of Christ which has enabled that possibility. Because God uses ordinary means to do the miraculous. And then we think, what? Well, I'm actually more, I'm more tied into my possessions than the pursuit of joyful giving, giving and liberal outpouring of the message of the gospel. And so that we don't become proud, 
we see that final uh, few words in verse 14. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. They're amazing words, aren't they? Grace is something that God gives you, gives me, gives us. The surpassing grace God has given you. Do you know what? Even our culture understands that we need to see something outside of us to comprehend grace. I was really struck by the lyrics of uh, that incredible song, Chasing Cars by Snow Patrol. Listen to this. I need your grace to remind me to find my own. <laughs> They're amazing lyrics, aren't they? That's just a perf perfectly human perspective. For me to find my own grace, I rely on seeing the power of your grace. Only what God says is you don't have any grace inside of you to find. But when I reveal my grace to you, I will implant my grace into you so that grace grows in you. Do you know what happens then? We move from being consumers of church to being participants. We live in a consumer culture. And it is so easy for the church to become another commodity which we consume. Yeah, we, we drop into 10, 15 podcasts or vlogs or services online. We like this speaker and that speaker. We don't like this one. We don't like that one. The inv invitations to be consumers are everywhere but that's not being part of the church that's not being moved by the gospel of jesus christ being moved by the gospel is when we become participants when we make intentional actions to be a part of when we pursue the things that god loves praise to his name thanksgiving to him do you see what paul's saying i want them to give thanks to God as a result of what you've done. And you will see the joy of them giving thanks to God because of what you've done. That's when we become participants. It is so, so easy to be consumers. We can be unintentional consumers. We can have been meaning to go online for the past months, years, whatever it might be, and place that standing order of commitment to being a participant in the church in which we belong. If you are in another church and you're dropping into this, I want you to encourage you today to commit to giving to your church so that the gospel will flourish. If you're a participant at another church and you're sharing in this time together, I want to actively encourage you to not give to us, but to give to your church. But I want to encourage you to be pursuers of generous giving for the sake of the gospel if you are part of our congregation. What's the final foundation that Paul lays under this 
three three week subject of giving it's this verse 15 thanks be to god for his indescribable gift i love that he rounds it off with that all of this talk about generosity and finally at the end of the day he says i want i, I want to give thanks to god for the indescribable gift of jesus christ and the grace that has been poured out to us go back all the way to verse chapter 8 and verse 9 and it kind of acts like like bookends to this for you know the grace of our lord jesus christ that though he was rich yet for your sake he became poor so that through his poverty you might become rich what a great way to start then let's talk about generous heartedness and let's conclude by saying thanks be to god for his indescribable gift first of all i feel like i need to do a bit of a confession i always is i i find it hard not to feel awesome um when I give money away, I feel like single-handedly, even if it's just a tenner to a charity, I feel like I'm single-handedly saving the world. So I just thought I'm just letting that off <laughs> my chest. Um, the second thing is, just to share with you, yeah, we've been talking all the while about the fact that money is the thing that makes the world go round, and it is. Um, and yet you shared with us today that our profit our gains are things like righteousness, um, salvation, and people getting a glimpse of God. Um, really different things than we might expect in terms of in terms of outlaying, you know, outlaying of our stuff. So that was really, I don't know what you think listening in, but that was really, really helpful. Um, and one final thing as well. I just, I was reading through Paul's letters um, today. I was reading through 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Philippians, Galatians. They, they all start very similar, Paul. I don't know if I'm guessing you'll have seen this too. Um, huge sections devoted to thanks. Um, yeah. Thanks thanks to God, um, yeah. but also thank you to these little churches dotted around for partnering. Thank you to these, some of them rich Gentile churches, some of them really poor churches, you know, some of them very hard up and yet sharing their, their gifts. So I think it's only right. A little bit of my, you know, my personal head on and a little bit of my uh, kingdom of God head on, see, you know, seeing the underprivileged around the world and, and all the rest of it, to say thanks, to say thank you to uh, the members of Christchurch over over these 10 years for for being really faithful with your giving and as you say paul in you know enabling god and his servants to to reach out to people to reach out to people and tell them about god to reach out to people and um, be equipped to speak into their life to reach out to people and look after people so i think um it's only right that we join paul and uh, look you in the eye at home and say thanks for that um it will be uh, rewarded, not yeah. just with my ugly mug speaking to you every week, but um, but in glory, in in salvation stories, in acts of grace uh, for mm. for His kingdom. So thank you, mm. 
you know, from the bottom of our, our hearts for your continued support. Yeah. I've got a couple of questions. Uh, we'll, we'll just take five minutes with this poll. So we might, we might whiz, we might whiz through it because we've, I feel like we've talked about money enough. I don't know about you. It's a tough subject, isn't it? It's a hard one to to engage with. So I'm really, it's a necessary one, but I'm really glad that we've we've done it for three weeks and we're moving to to other subjects. But then I realised Jesus spoke about it so often. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was I was reading that this week that he he spoke about it as much as he spoke about anything. Yeah. Um, not yeah. not just um, encouraging giving as much as anything because I think it's the language of the world as well. Mm. I think that's one of the reasons mm. he talks about it. So mm. uh, weighing that up is. Is money the great evil? This is just a dead straight question. Is is money good or bad? What do you reckon? Um, I, I think it's really, well, the, the, we've got to come back to what the Bible says. And the Bible doesn't say that money is evil. It says that the love of money is the root of many evils. The love of it, the kind of prioritizing of it. Uh, and actually coming back to remind ourselves that, of why money exists. Yeah, at the end of the day, money exists so that we don't have to drag sheep or sacks of grain around with us, so that we we don't have to barter anymore, so that we don't have to you know build somebody's fence so that they'll give us some food for next week. Money is just the mechanism for us to exchange the physical things, necessary things. Um. It, it, it's a it's a that mechanism by which we we can handle that whole interaction of of the things that we need and the things that we enjoy and you know i think that the other thing to remind ourselves is that that money can also be the the mechanism for us to be reminded of god's god's rich blessing to us you know you you want to climb up a mountain, you don't want to climb up a mountain in a pair of flip-flops, you buy yourself a nice pair of walking boots and 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 what what can that do? It can be it can be a source of pride in terms of looking down at the amazing walking boots that you've been able to buy and you can say that's because I worked those extra shifts or because I did XYZ. Or you can turn it around and say, you know, these these have given me the opportunity to see this incredible view that makes me feel so tiny and significant in this creation. And yet all of this is laid out to, to reveal the glory of God before us. You know, we, we, there are ways in which the good things that, that we are, that we are given to enjoy this world with in our physicality should always be springboards for revealing God's glory. So that, so absolutely no, it's not, in my mind, it's not evil. It's it can be uh, not in and of itself, but just because it's it's kind of like the window into our attitude and heart, isn't it? That's what Jesus says again and again. Money's the window into our attitude and heart. I guess to take up your illustration, it would be easy to walk up the mountain, spend enough time looking down at the shoes you'd bought that you weren't. And felt like when you got to the top of the mountain, you could look out and go, "Yeah, I've this is all, all me. I've earned, yeah. I've earned the walk, I've earned the shoes. Yeah, um, it's it's all on me." Or, like you say, you could, you could invest in the good shoes, get to the top of the mountain, and be reminded 
just just how insignificant you are humbled yeah. by it yeah and you know earning earning righteousness even, even yeah. when you get to the top of the mountain yeah absolutely and we've got to remember as well that you know we live in a in an, an economic society that the things that we buy and consume are what is putting food on other people's tables you know paying other people's mortgages that's just the the economic world in which we live that and that can be that can be redeemed we can we can live in that world and and seek the glory of god in that world or we can just pursue self-centeredness yeah easy done i think um i feel like we've said enough about money i think we could wrap up there i hope that's been um i hope these last three weeks haven't sounded like um hmm. church knocking on your door i hope they've sounded like um just Reminders of the great gift that we've got in Jesus Christ and this responsibility we've got to steward our stuff and the great help that it can be and also the uh, the trick, the trick, the, the difficulty it can be as well. Hope those have been helpful uh, things for you to think about. I'm just going to um, I'm just going to pray. I'm going to ask you to, if you're somebody who prays, uh, just to pray with me now. And then our service is is, is finished. Father God, uh, we give you thanks again. Uh, give you thanks for even just what we have right now so we just say thank you father god for um for the roof over our head we say thank you father god for um, provision for this week we say thank you father god uh, for bringing us this far uh, we recognize that that's not the story uh, around the whole uh, the whole world and our heart aches not always for very long but it aches Father God, we just pray that you'll remind us in these moments that we are stewards of what we have uh, for your glory. So we pray that our endeavours would be to see that glory with the things that you've given us. Uh, we ask for help with this. We pray that you will put the picture of Jesus on the cross um, firmly in our minds, that this might be something that we practice with our lives. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Have a great week. Thanks. Take care.